Surviving Bob Jones University of Christian Cults is a thought-provoking podcast series that delves deeply into the history of Bob Jones University, the psychology of fundamentalism, the criteria for cults, and survivors' experiences. BJU is a controversial religious institution, and this podcast sheds light on the experiences of those who have survived this high-control environment. Please subscribe to stay updated on the premiere of this podcast, which is coming in 2023. Day listeners, we're back again with another episode of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I'm going to jump straight to saying hello to my good friend Troy because otherwise I get in trouble. And Troy, he he pretty much punishes me by leaving shit things in the edit and making me look like a, an idiot, don't you, Troy? That, that's not true at all. I Anything know. I spend so much time taking out your goddamn you knows, ums and ahs, and mine as well, for what it's worth. So no, I never make you look bad. I, I think you're wonderful. As a matter of fact, today I was thinking about we're having the, the guests on and it's a male and female couple. And I was thinking, I wish we were a male and female couple. As a matter of fact, I wish you were the female because I think it would be awesome like having the beard and being all that sort of gender fluid kind of thing. I think that would be awesome. Look, it can be arranged. If for, for a fee, I am up for anything. <laughs> you, you know that. I, I I won't shy away from a challenge. I can share to the listener group, actually, some great photos. I have gone drag a couple of times for parties and for events, and I actually jump at the opportunity. I'm not going to lie. That's true. Can... Even in church, I remember, you used to like to dress up. And then there would be those people, may or may not have been my ex-wife, that would pull out verses and say from the Old Testament about what happens when men dress as women. It's like, yeah, but they're not doing it for that reason. They're doing it for sort of fun. And it was like, no, you can't do it at all. I remember that. You got you got pulled up on it, I think. I, I did rebuked. I, rebuked I think the was language the language would be. Yes, yeah, that's right. You got in Jesus's name. However, you're doing what I do to you sometimes and forget to introduce you. So I, I do think it's time to introduce our guests because these, these are people that we are listening to often and connecting with and just loving their stuff. Yeah, we're genuine fans, aren't we? We absolutely are. And they they were just telling us that they were fans of Troy before because of his voice sounding like someone, which we'll get into shortly. But I think um, for now, Troy, I'm going to throw over to you because I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are familiar with these people too. Yeah, well, I'm going to introduce... DL, a.k.a. Danielle Mayfield and Crispin Mayfield, who are the hosts of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. Hello, guys, and welcome to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. I did warn Crispin. I said, just so you know, Australians make fun of each other a lot. And like, I think that's how they communicate care. And I just want to prep you going into this. So. Yeah, even even to the point of dissing each other. We diss each other and that's how we show affection. 
Yeah. Yeah. The couples therapist in me was starting to be like, do I need to like jump in here? Like, do you know, prepare him? And you you know what the sad thing is, Crispin? I I am also a therapist, and this is how (laughs) I deal with sessions with people that I'm I'm talking to because Australians respond really well to it. We we do. It's it's called in Australia. We call it taking the piss. Is that a saying mm-hmm. in the states? No, and and when, when we say it, it sounds so stupid. Taking a piss, like it's not as cool. Oh no, it's not I mean? a piss. Taking oh, a piss, the piss. That's the piss. So <laughs> taking. So if you're taking a piss, probably means what you think. We it are does. taking a piss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, I really effed that one up, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, and you, you can feel free to say, I, I, you probably won't, but feel free to say you fucked up because we're Australians oh. and um, we swear a lot. So it's yeah. it's totally. I fine. do love swearing so much, and I have started swearing on our own podcast, and people are like, no. Yeah, I've heard you alienating Patreon subscribers by swearing. I think that's hilarious. I alienate people with everything I do, so I shouldn't be surprised. But I was a little surprised at that one. The the F word is still too much. Mm, Yeah. No, do it. Just desensitize people. That'll be fine. Okay. (laughs) I'm writing that down. Desensitize people. I use it, but I just whisper it. Yeah, he's a whisper. Yeah, yeah. I heard that on on your last episode. (laughs) I did. And it was like, you know, we can still hear you, right? (laughs) <laughs> Even when you whisper. It was very great. funny. So hey guys, let's let's jump straight in and let's ask you questions because whilst we think we know you, at least to a point, maybe some of our listeners don't. So a couple of questions. First of all, who are Daniel and Crispin Mayfield in a in a I don't know, in a nutshell, who are you today? What are your backstories? But most importantly, and we ask this of everyone, were you teenage fundamentalists? Wow, that is a it's a complex question when you're asking about the two of us, right? Uh-huh. I think that we are uh, we are No, we're basically one person, okay? So we were joined together one flesh. One flesh, and so we'll just like take turns answering one sentence at a time, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, we are if it comes to that level of coordination, it's not going to work. I'm letting you talk first cuz I talk so much more than you. I think that <laughs> I appreciate that. And uh I mean, I was just thinking about this. We're in our late 30s and we are just like recovering from fundamentalism. That is what we are doing right now. That looks like a lot of different things, uh a lot of art, a lot of creativity, a lot of like creating space for our kids uh, in ways that we didn't have space growing up in our like religious upbringing. I think those are some of the important things. Oh, wow. I love that that's what's important to you. And I think that's such a good picture into who Crispin is because he's so awesome. I do think it's important to say, you know, we're from the United States. We were both raised in white evangelical families that were like all in on that religion. And we met at Bible college Mm -hmm. and I just have like impeccable credentials when it comes to being the perfect evangelical uh, person, including like Christmas only person I've ever dated. And now we've been married 15 years. We have two kids and we live in the state of Oregon, which is on the West coast of the United States. And when Trump got elected in the United States, um, it was a, like an earth shattering event for many of us. And we started a podcast sort of uh, deconstructing the evangelical pop cultural artifacts of our childhood. 
And we uh, called it the Prophetic Imagination Station based off of this show called Adventures in Odyssey, which is put up by Focus on the Family. Sorry if like none of this is interesting or relevant to people, but a few people like their ears will probably be perking up. You're actually, Danielle, you're jumping ahead to some of the other questions oh. we, we had oh. there. So this is, uh, you know, this is perfect. So knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm almost finished. But what's so fascinating is we started that podcast in 2017, 17, like January 2017, because our oldest child was six or seven at the time. And we had started like, what do we tell our kid about God? Like, I was reading some of the Jesus Storybook Bible to them, but they already had like questions that just knocked me on my ass, right? Just right from the get go. They were like, wait, doesn't this book always say about God's never-ending, never-stopping, always never-ending love? Then why are we supposed to feel happy that Goliath died? Like, why are we happy Goliath died? Like, God doesn't God love Goliath? Like, what are we doing here? And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know how to respond to that. And so we did this podcast. Did you just say no? God does not love Goliath. <laughs> Stop like, asking questions. We're what I remember is like slowly shutting the Jesus Storybook Bible and just being like, I don't want to talk about any of this to my I mean, kid. I don't want to have to cover for God right, I to mean, my own let, child. Let me jump in. Like, I remember at one point they were talking about Moses and the 10 plagues and they called it that story where get, where God kills all the kids. Yeah. that is like That is the child that we... And that, and that child, so that child is the first person in our little family to deconvert from Christianity. It should be clear at this point. Um, they That was their personality from the get-go. And we just, like, we've been changed by our kid. We've been changed by um, all sorts of things. But now looking back, if I could talk about our podcast, I would say it's a podcast about two people grappling with uh, religious indoctrination, which is what I believe white evangelicalism is extremely skilled at and has been for the past several decades, at least in the United States, with Christian media, Christian publishing, all these things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's kind of us in a nutshell. Yeah. Oh, and we've written a couple books. We've been Christian authors and like Christian busybodies on the internet for a while. And um, we also were missionaries for three years. I feel like that, I oh mean, that was God. a while ago, but like that's worth mentioning. We lived in a mission order amongst the poor. We were like very cool new friars, thought we were better than everybody because we were. Wait, what's that? That was in a different part of the United States in the Midwest in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for anybody listening, and is an organization called Interchange. Well, in the state of Minnesota, there was 100,000 Somali refugees at that time. And so I was an English teacher and we lived in low-income housing and worked with Somali refugees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you cheated being a missionary. I mean, you stayed in the States. You, you I know. It was, I, yeah. We, we. It's true. It was like, I had graduated with my counseling degree. Danielle had their master's in teaching English to speakers of other languages. So it's kind of like, where do people speak English? So that I can do my stuff. Where do people not speak also, English? Also, it was pragmatic. So I, uh, in the past year, I've been diagnosed as autistic, which really helps me understand my life story. But I took everything extremely literally. And so growing up a girl in a household where my dad was the pastor, I was homeschooled, very isolated. It was complementarian, right? Women can't be pastors, can't be leaders. But there's this weird little loophole where women could be missionaries, right? Especially single women. And I was kind of you know, destined from the beginning not to get married just because I was such a freaking weirdo and everybody knew this about me. 
Um, but I was very intense, very into God. And so I ended up meeting Crispin and he actually liked me and I actually liked him. And when we started applying to go overseas, we were going to have to like raise three times the amount of money that we were currently living off of living in low-income housing in Portland, Oregon. And so it was a very pragmatic decision for me. I was like, that seems so wasteful. I will not do that. I will just stay in America, stay in the States and live below the poverty level here. So it was all pragmatic. I was uh-huh. just like, that's what everyone should do. Pragmatic and principled yes. in a in a way exactly. we should mention. Mm-hmm. And, and just to be clear, I was taking the piece when I said that you cheated being a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Australia. <laughs> I did think we had, you know, we kind of figured it out in a way. And actually, that's one of the amazing things about living in the United States. There's so many bad things about living here. But, like, there is this, like, richness of diversity to people. And if you're willing to go outside your comfort zone, I still find it so fascinating. Like, I grew up so rural, so isolated, and now I have relationships with people from all over the world. So... I was, I'm very happy we stayed, but we do dream of, you know, leaving this country like most um, progressive people. (laughs) I think it's interesting that you talk about like, there's many bad things about living in the US, but I bet you that's all done a 180 from the things that were bad when you were a fundamentalist growing up are probably some of the things that you now think are good about being in the US. You know what I mean? Like like the Disney Corporation and the socialist agenda and the gay agenda and all the things that you hated growing up, you're probably now going, and actually these are the things that we now support. Because that's what I hear from you guys when I listen to, you know, by, by implication, I listen to what you're saying in your podcast and I think, wow, they were pretty fundamentalist. Yes. Oh, yeah, we didn't answer that question. Crispin, were you a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, yes, I definitely was. And when I was thinking about that, that, you know, I only listen to Christian music, which was what was most striking to me thinking about that question is the ways that I put restrictions on myself. And, and like, I'm not going to let my parents off the hook. Like most evangelical parents, there's a lot of like very like formulating what you're uh, allowed to have, uh, you know, media wise. I was a missionary kid, which is worth mentioning uh, during my teen years to China but it was me that was like, I'm only going to listen to Christian music. And like, I just wanted to be so such a good Christian, you know, like I remember I was like in this Christian band and all the lyrics were about how the other kids at youth group like weren't like as, as passionate as I was. Like there's this line about like, you know, not being cold, you know, lukewarm and, you know, just all those things. And this was just like just me. Right. And I was like reading all like I was like 16 and reading Philippiancy and just like I was just all in. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, the, the word lukewarm just triggered me. What did you guys feel? Did you feel a shiver when he said the word I, lukewarm? I wanted to spew him out of my mouth. Yeah, I was like, did you feel Jesus spitting us all out of his mouth right now? Because that's what I felt. So you were both Christian writers at one stage, and you mentioned that sort of recently on your podcast as well. And that sort of excites me because I'd like to know how you ended up in that world and give us some highlights of the kind of writing you did. Because I know when I was a fundamentalist, I would have loved to have been a Christian writer. That would have been exciting. (laughs) 
You got to start because I just rode your coattails. Yeah, Crispin had this plan all along. He's like, you do the work. You be out there in the mean streets of social media. You be stirring stuff up, writing it. And then my plan is I'm just going to ride your coattails. Once you get a little notoriety, I'm going to slip in there, get a book deal. And damn, if you did not do that. I know it worked. You, I was uh-huh. working on a book and you tweeted like, hey, Crispin's working on a really great book. I read some of it today. And I got emails from publishing houses being like, can we mm-hmm. talk to you? Mm-hmm. So I know it's not on my own merit. Just to be it's really clear. It's all me. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> it's all me. Nothing from you. That sounds very Christian. Every good thing in your life is from me now, not God. <laughs> Anyways. It doesn't sound very Christian because you're the woman. It doesn't sound very Christian at all. So tell us about the writing that you did, Danielle, and and, and Crispin. Tell us about the, the writing that you did. Because you mentioned something about writing for Christianity Today, because I was yeah. a Christianity Today fanboy at one stage in my oh, life. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. So I, yeah. So my background is, yeah, growing up, homeschooled pastor's family, moved around all the time, was going to be a missionary. I did YWAM. I went to Bible college to be a missionary, ended up in low-income housing, working with refugees here in Portland, Oregon. And I think if you're a fundamentalist, you're exactly right. You want any opportunity you can to share your beliefs. And and sometimes I am trying to conceptualize. And again, now knowing I'm autistic, like I just really thought everybody was operating at the level I was of taking it seriously, taking it literally, saying if this is truly the only way to be a good person and the only way to get into heaven, like everybody needs to hear this. What happened for me is living in low-income housing with refugees here in the United States, where I was immediately confronted with two glaring issues. One was that really sucked to live in America if you weren't a lot like me, white, middle-class, Christian, blah, blah, blah. And the second was like, I tried to convert my new friends and they were just like, no, like we're Muslim. Like we've always been Muslim. Our family's like, good for you. But like, can you help us figure out how to get food stamps? And I was like, oh, okay. Like, so my religion's only good news for people just like me. So I, you know, I think people when they're teenagers or whatever, they go through those normal shifts of being like, wait, society's kind of messed up. And maybe my parents don't know everything. But like, I did not go through that. And I went through a much slower one. And part of the way I was dealing with these two questions of, wait a minute, I don't think my country is actually all that great. And two, I don't think my religion is all that great was I went headfirst into writing and trying to read my way out of, intellectualize my way out of, and then finally to kind of stir up my community to actually live up to their stated ideals as a way of processing my own internal discord. So I just started noticing like, Christians say they love their neighbor, but they're doing a horrid job. And so I will write articles about that, about, you know, refugees, immigration, creation care, all these things. And that's kind of how I got my start. And that's what, you know, my books are mostly about just like, what the fuck evangelicals is how I would now classify most of my books. But obviously they were in the Christian publishing world. I did write multiple cover stories for Christianity Today. Um, that was a really hard experience because I I received so many microaggressions just for being a woman, right? Mm-hmm. They would say things like, yeah, what you're saying here is great, but you need to find like a reformed male historian or theologian to say it. So interview somebody, then we can put that in. And, and obviously they didn't say find a white guy, but they would say a reformed guy who teaches at one of these colleges that we respect. And so they're all white guys. And so... 
stuff like that. It was just so soul sucking. And I ended up. And this was the editors of Christianity Today that were saying this to you? Yeah. And then like one time I tweeted something about being affirming of same sex marriage and they ended up calling me on the phone and being like, you're no longer, you know, you can't write for us in any capacity anymore. They had just flown me out to their head offices, like shown me around all these like weird, like Billy Graham shrines they had built. And I was like sort of shell shocked by being in the belly of the beast. Uh, but they spent all this money on me. And then they were like, and they said, I'm just going to say this. They were like, you are one of the best writers we have right now. Because I was a fundamentalist trying to still make it good news. I was very valuable to them in that regard because I was a true believer it needed to be right it needed to be good and as soon as they I, I remember on the phone just like almost yelling in frustration because I was like why I tweeted that one thing like where is that in the contracts or whatever and they're like oh it's a verbal policy not a written policy and they said it's just so clear you don't believe in the authority of scripture and I was like I like again as an autistic person it was so offensive to me like I was operating out of like I have so much respect for the authority of scripture I've anguished over this issue for so many decades I have now finally come to the position that it is not against basic Christian tenets to be gay or be in a you know homosexual relationship and anyways sorry that's a long-winded way of saying like I poured so much into Christianity and trying to save it to trying to change it, trying to make it match up to what it had always been told to me it was. And it wasn't until I was 38 years old that I could finally, and this is through therapy, right? I could finally say like, this is not real. From from birth, I've been surrounded by people who are lying to themselves, I believe, but also to me, that they feel peace, love, grace, happiness, community, that they feel cherished by God, that they don't worry about the future. Like, no, that's what everybody said. But they're actually incredibly anxious, depressed, dysregulated, traumatized people who use religion to bypass, like, actually doing the inner work they needed to do. So, whoa, that was too much (laughs) ranting. I'm really sorry. That wasn't too much ranting at all. And as a matter of fact, it's anecdotal evidence for what Phil Drysdale says, that those that evangelical hard end up deconstructing hard you know the, the the more full-on you are in this space the harder it is to deconstruct and the more seriously you end up deconstructing you know you, there's this further to fall and that's that's our story too which is why we do a podcast and interestingly enough why you guys do a podcast as well and I think that was the synergy that's why when we were listening to you guys it's like oh wow they call evangelicalism a cult so do we oh wow they're saying you know and you guys have this degree of insight because you know you have a different lived experience and you have a different story and you have this degree of insight that I think sometimes we don't have you see things that we don't have or we don't see and then I'll listen to it and go but that's so true that's so true and I know this is going to sound really gushy and I may take this out and post edit, but I may have used the word enamored by you both the other day when talking to Brian about having you guys on the show because you just throw it out there, right? And you just say it and you both do. Crispin, you do it in your own way as well. And especially when you just give assent to the things that Danielle says, even though you don't say it, you just go, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, (laughs) mm-hmm. That's what everybody always talks about. They love Crispin's like- My mm mm-hmm's. Yeah, yeah, it's very funny. I we, love them as well. We should do a remix of your mm-hmm. 
we can we can do that. And uh, I, but Crispin, we we also want to tap into some of the work that you've done. Obviously, you've written a book. Is it in the same vein, or do you guys have a, a different flavor, or have you had a different flavor? Definitely. I mean, it was interesting. You were stepping on my toes a little bit at the end there. <laughs> Was I? (laughs) Well, I feel like that most of your writing career has really been about taking the values of Jesus, like how you understand the stated values of Jesus and, and holding that next to the American church and saying like, why don't these match up? And in a very political way and a lot of focus on politics, which is kind of where our podcast started as well, was like focusing on like, why did all these evangelicals vote for Trump? For me, I'm a therapist, and as I was uh, just going along in my career, I was reading a lot about attachment science, which is the science of relationships. Just trying to understand why is it my whole life I've been trying to feel accepted by and close to God, and why haven't I been? I grew up as a missionary kid. I was in a not very emotionally healthy family. And so just reflecting back on it, I was I was trying to feel loved by someone, trying to feel loved by God. It just wasn't clicking, wasn't connecting. And so as I was going through and reading about uh, the science of relationships, and especially what happens to kids when they're abused or neglected, Um, It just started to click for me, these different things, these messages I've been told about God, like God loves you totally, but God is, you know, if you have that little sin in you, like God is also disgusted. And so for me, it was my whole life of like trying to feel loved and accepted, but always like brushing up against this like fine print that's there. And so like trying to make sense of that. I ended up writing a book on how I tried to make sense of it. And the, the first part of the book is really looking at like, what are these different uh, like relationship styles, right? So if you have a parent and a child where the, the child feels like it's up to me to keep this connection, it's up to me to keep close to my parent, uh, the science says they're going to feel anxious. And I was like, oh, well, this is what I was told my whole life. It's up to you to, you know, stay close to God, to press forward, to... And I've been anxious my whole life. Like this really is validating to me about like, this is a neurobiological thing that happens. So that was really helpful for me. And then the other like kind of second half of it uh, was sort of like, if you are a Christian who believes in the Bible, here's a way to sort of like reckon with these things and feel more secure. And it's interesting because I published that book last February, a year ago. So, uh, you know, a little over a year and I'm in a really different place now. So, so you basically wrote a book on attachment theory and applied that to the Christian context. Yes. And basically said like attachment theory has these categories for unhealthy parent child dynamics. And those are the dynamics that we see in evangelicalism. And let's just make it really clear. Like, this is what the science says, what what happens in this unhealthy dynamic. And hey, look over here. This is kind of the parent-child dynamic you're given. For example, like another example is like in abusive situations when a child is scared of their parent because their parent might hurt them they get in this place of like, I want to be close to my parent because I love them and I want to be loved. And also at the same time, I'm scared. So then I'm in this just mix of emotions of like, do I want to be close? Do I want to be far? And I found that a lot of uh, evangelicals are like, 
yeah, that sounds very familiar. Like I'm told that this is a God of love that I should get close to. And also this is a God that is judging me and waiting to throw me into hell. And it's, it's really psychologically confusing to say the least. Um, I would say devastating yeah. in some ways. So when I, when I first discovered you guys, I was listening to your podcast and I was trying to think out where are they at? Because it was, it were contradictions. And then I looked up your book and I saw you were published by Zondervan. Would that be right? And uh-huh. I was like, this makes no fucking sense. Right. <laughs> He's saying all this, you know, sort of progressive stuff. And like when I was in church, Zondervan was a, I mean, didn't they publish the NIV, right? Zondervan mm-hmm. were the like, you know, it's like Baker Bookhouse. Like this is serious fucking evangelical shit. And yet you're making this podcast and you've even done this book about this application of, of attachment theory and stuff. No, you guys are just contradiction city. <laughs> it, it was interesting when Troy did discover you first and he sent me an episode and it was a while ago now. And I actually, I wrote back to him and I said, I'm trying to work out, are these guys still active Christians? They're trying to work this stuff out. And I think since then, since we've listened, we've really, I think, journeyed with your listeners as you deconstruct and mm-hmm. as you actually start to change your views. And, and I'm wondering, with what you've published in the past for both of you, because it's out there in, in the public sphere, do you look back on some of it and go, oh, fuck, I cannot believe I said that or wrote that? Yeah, or- should we do expose episodses about you guys? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or- Cancel us, please. Because I mean, the reality is, no, you're not going to be cancelled. Um, <laughs> oh, they I'm, will, just not by us. Not not by us, no. I, I, cancel culture is another thing that I've got a little bit of an issue with. I, I do think that parts of our journey, we should own it. I mean, it's us. I mean, there's definitely things that I look back in my life and I go, oh, my God, I cannot believe that not only did I believe that, but I told others that they should believe it. How do you guys sit with the stuff that you've put out there, that you've published? How do you see it and how do you deal with it? It's hard because Crispin is a little newer to this than I am. It's okay if I talk about the Zondervan thing really quick. uh Because I told Crispin, like, I would personally never publish with Zondervan. Like we had all these like little discussions. And one thing I love about Crispin is he was like, I want to reach people who are really being oppressed by this theology. And and those people buy Zondervan books. And and so I, I just think it's a really good look at there's so many different ways to approach this and so many different avenues. And I'm learning more about self-trust and less feeling like, oh, I have a compulsion to tell everybody exactly where I'm at because that's a little fundamentalist thing, you know. I can actually take the time to be like, well, what do I want to do? It's been really hard, though, because when you sign a book contract, it, like, takes about two years for it actually to come out. And so, yes, like, we've changed so much in the past few years. I kind of feel like if you are a Christian in the United States or even beyond and you haven't experienced some intense times of crisis in the past few years like you you are not paying attention right so like we are definitely not doing this in a vacuum what was stressful for me is my most recent book was on a woman named Dorothy Day she's like a catholic um social activist she's actually in line to be a canonized saint in the Roman Catholic Church and i felt a lot of pressure to do right by my publisher and not delete my Twitter account, which was starting to suck the life out of me, and to kind of maintain a Christian faith when that book first came out. So I'm being honest, like that was absolutely connected to me not doing all of the work. And I've been deconstructing for forever, 
But then a few months after my Dorothy Day book came out, so really the beginning of this year, January, I was just like, I'm done. I'm done with God. Like, I don't, I'm not talking to God anymore. I'm not praying anymore. I'm not checking in with God anymore. Like, I'm doing none of this stuff. And in my mind, that just made perfect sense. In my weird little mind, I was like, yeah, my book's been out for two months. It's finally time for me to just take a break from all of that see how I feel. I felt great. I told Crispin, I was like, I'm not a Christian. This is awesome. And then I just like went on with my day and he was like, <laughs> shocked. actually, this is incredibly shocking. We need to have like some really intense discussions about it. And I was, just, I was like, what? Like, not, no, not, and just, so- just to be clear, not in like, I wasn't upset. I just was like, Danielle has been such an intensely religious person your entire life well it turns out i was fucking undiagnosed autistic and had ethical ocd which found a beautiful home with an evangelical christianity to just bloom and grow and take over my entire life Mm -hmm. and so when i stopped engaging in christian rituals of any kind including prayer i I mean my mental health just Mm -hmm. got so much better overnight it's 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 so shocking to me how much better I feel mm-hmm. not engaging in any sort of checking in with a divine or any of that kind of shit. And I, I, I just, I can't go back to living like that, mm-hmm. which is why the word deconversion is so important to me. I've never really identified with like the larger deconstruction framework, but I think as someone who was a product of intense childhood indoctrination, like I, I need to be completely done. And that is tricky. I think most people who are in a position who have been Christians in public if they deconvert, they just say like, oh, I'm on, I'm on a faith journey like everybody else, blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, that's not how I roll. I'm like, no, I'm deconverting from a cult and I would like to take as many of you with me as I can. Like, that's how I operate. And so that's what I'm doing. And unfortunately, that maybe puts a little bit of pressure on my partner, Crispin, <laughs> to also be as public as I am. But it's like, no, you don't have to be. Hey, Brian, it's great that HelloFresh are now friends of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast, but you use them all the time, don't you? I do, and not just for dinners. At first, we used them for dinners, but not only can you take your pick from 40 weekly recipes, but you can choose from over 100 items to round out your order, from snacks, easy lunches to desserts, and those pantry necessities. And everything arrives in that one box on delivery day that you choose. And a great idea is to use them when you're having a get-together. So you can check out HelloFresh Market for crowd-pleasing appetizers, snacks, sides, and more for your next gathering. And the best part, you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store. So go to hellofresh.com slash teenage16 and use the code teenage16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. So you go to HelloFresh.com slash Teenage16, use the code Teenage16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Hey, I'm Rachel. A few years ago, I stepped away from my religious background. I had a lot of anger and a lot to say about evangelicalism and all the shitty parts of it. So I started a podcast to work through it and to feel less alone. A year into it, I asked my cousin-in-law to join the journey. And I said, yes, I'm Molly, co-host to the show. Turns out we had a lot more in common than just being in the same family. We were both raised in evangelical house churches in the 90s and 2000s. Talk about culty. We were homeschooled, culty. And we both left religion behind about eight years ago. 
So now we get together every other week and talk about the nitty gritty that happens when you leave religion. Everything from how to set healthy boundaries with religious family members, theology, hell, heaven, Paul, and how to recognize and heal from religious trauma. This podcast is our healing process, and we're hopeful that sharing our stories, other people's stories, and what we learn along the way may help others heal too. Religion leaves a mark on everyone it touches. Sometimes that mark isn't always positive. Cheers to Leaving is the perfect podcast for anyone who's questioning their faith or looking to connect with others who have been there. You can find our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So grab a drink and join us as we say, cheers to leaving. Like all good podcasts, we've got merch. Yes, we do. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and all kinds of great ex-evangelical and I was a teenage fundamentalist branded gear. I don't know about you, Brian, but I wear mine proudly. I do wear mine proudly. And to get it, I went to redbubble.com and searched for Teenage Fundy. That's redbubble.com and search for Teenage Fundy. Or see the Linktree URL in the show notes. All proceeds go towards building and promoting the podcast. Hashtag fucking blessed. <laughs> Why didn't you become a progressive then? Or even just for a time? Or did you? I was. Yeah, I was a progressive Christian. And that was, you know, for me, I thought it was really good to be surrounded by people who care about Black Lives Matter and refugees and who were anti-Trump. And I've been on staff at like a progressive online Christian place for the past few years called the Faith and Justice Network. And so in my mind, again, I'm on this progression, right, of being a progressive Christian. And again, after I got kicked out of Christianity today, my mode was just like, okay, I will call myself an evangelical until I truly get kicked out, which, you know, I ended up actually truly getting kicked out. And so I think that's just how I was operating. So Crispin, you're still holding to the label of Christian or not anymore? Because your name, Crispin, sounds a lot like Christian. Maybe that would be difficult. (laughs) Oh, I... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just like right in the thick of it. One thing I just wanted to say is like Danielle's first book came out seven years ago. And so there's like so much more of a gap along the way. Whereas like me just having a year, you know, my book come out a year ago. I still feel in a lot of ways pretty proud of it. And, and even with Zondervan, I wrote the book before I gave it to them. And I said, like, this is what my book is going to be. Can you accept it or not? And I Mm -hmm. talked about like queer Christians saving my faith. And, and I got a lot of pushback from them, but that stuff stayed. Um, And so in a lot of ways, I still feel really proud of it. But the book for me was like trying to figure out, I had this, this idea my whole life that God is disappointed in me, that I'm just never quite measuring up, that God is disgusted with me. It really, reinforced a lot of uh, shame for me, just feeling like there's something, you know, really broken with me and broken within me or about me. And writing the book, I was able to finally sort of sort through and get a better theology that says God actually loves me. And I knew sort of how to deal with the fine print part of like those things that come up. Now, where I'm at right now, where I've been for the last couple of months is like, what if I don't want to have to rely on God to tell me that I'm lovable? Like, what might that look like? And so I was so glad to like shift from this place of like, God just hates me, but uh, is keeping me around anyway, or whatever this kind of weird to like, God, God just loves me. And that's okay. To this next step of like, but what's it mean to just like, 
be a human and even find some of that like self-worth within myself rather than having to like check in with God for God to tell me that I'm okay. Damn. So that's good. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't know what that means, but I'm kind of doing something similar to what Danielle said in terms of I'm, I'm not, I'm not praying. I'm not like, I'm not doing all that stuff. Cause I'm like, what's it look like if I'm just can be alone inside my own head? <laughs> I, I do think though that your approach is like more palatable to people because the thing, I guess to finish my thought about like progressive Christians, the thing is, is when I sort of was like, okay, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm, I've deconverted progressive Christians were really upset by me and I was expecting it from conservative Christians, but I was such a deep disappointment to so many people who were working really hard in progressive Christian spaces. And it really impacted me. And I, and I think what happened was everybody just thought, and I think Chris, when you thought this too, that I would be like, you know, evangelicalism is a scam. It's a cult. I'm not a Christian. I don't do organized religion, but Jesus is really cool. I'm still into Jesus. And I was like, nope, I am not cool with Jesus at all, at all. I need a long fucking break from that guy because he's been living in my head rent-free 24-7. I am living in low-income houses. I am anguishing over every item of food I purchase, every item of clothes I purchase. I'm trying to be the most ethical person. Like, no, I-, I can't do this. And and that has been really upsetting to people is I refuse to just be like, yeah, that's great. Like, Jesus is great. I'm like, no, he's a tool of indoctrination by the religious right. That's what the Jesus y'all are talking about is. Like, if we want to talk about the Jewish historical Jesus, let's do that. But that's what not what anyone is talking about ever. They're talking about this interventionist, personalist Jesus that was given to us by Christian media that is super patriarchal and white supremacist. So it's like, no, I, I, I don't want anything to do with Jesus at all. So then, guys, if you're having this deconstruction, I don't want to say it different, put anyone in front of it, anyone because that presumes an outcome right but let me say it's different rates different mm-hmm. trajectories and levels, different intensity levels exactly personalities, right so, yeah so what kind of stress has that put on your relationship as as a couple not just professional but as people I'm so glad I'm in therapy. Poor Chris Ben he has wanted me to be in therapy for a really long time because you're I got, care about like, you. Like, yes. That's but, why. But even like the title of your podcast, it makes me feel a little sad because it's like, I wish I was a teenage fundamentalist. Like, I was a middle-aged fundamentalist. Like, I've been living the life with the inner world of a fundamentalist for so long. I just believed I was a total piece of shit who deserved to feel anxious and terrible all the time and had to earn God's love and the love of people around me. Like... Crispin knew I was struggling and it wasn't getting better as I got older. I kept telling him like one day I'm going to wake up and just be a mystic. I'm going to be like so chill and so zen and I'm going to reach that mystic level like everybody talks about spirituality. I should get there. I'm reading all the books. I'm doing all the prayers. I'm doing all the good work. So like I'm doing all the things. Well, it never happened. And then COVID obviously brought a lot of us to some breaking points when it came to like childcare and societal collapse and you know all this stuff i ended up going to therapy and and therapy really helped me start to like myself and start to take my inner world seriously and so for me like taking my own pain seriously has led to me 
deconverting from Christianity. And so in many ways, it's been like really good for our relationship for me to not want to die anymore because that's where my version of Christianity had led me. And, and mostly it was related to, I think, the OCD elements of it. I didn't want to be alive anymore. And so I think in the long run, it has been really helpful. But I'm also glad I'm in therapy because my therapist and I talk a lot about our relationship and just with my personality and how I am, I, I just want to be very careful not to pressure anyone, but most especially Crispin, right, into being just like me or being at my same rate. And so I'm really doing the work to do that because early on in our marriage, I would not be like that. And so I think I'm just really happy like that this is happening 15 years in and I'm happy to grow as a person. I, I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but like thinking about my parents and just everyone I know who's all in on a high control religion, like white evangelicalism, they're so proud of never changing, right? Never changing their doctrines, never changing their politics, you know, just never changing their church if they don't have to. And I'm like, I'm so happy I'm changing. Like, I'm just so happy. I am, I am learning the ability to change because fundamentalists don't want to change. Right. And they make you so scared of changing. It's, a hallmark of it and I'm like I'm so happy I am and I think it's I think it's better yeah this is something that comes up we've we've got a, a private Facebook group with lots of people in there that throw questions out thousand people by the way which is a new number we reached it recently. Is. <gasps> that's good oh my gosh but it, it's become a bit of a, a therapeutic community and it's been one where people will throw out a question and they'll go hey how has someone else dealt with this how is how are you navigating this and one that has come up a few times is it's the unequally yoked and not just, you know, it's very different belief systems. Generally, it is one's a Christian, one's not a Christian. And generally, the one that's not a Christian is in our group going, how does this work? And in fairness, it's not the model that we're looking at with you guys. It's actually one's a fundamentalist and one's not. Right. That's what they mean by unequally yoked. Yeah, and that's that's where I was taking it was there's these differences and people talk about how do I navigate this? What are some of the tools I use? And people do come up some, with some really good ideas and ways to manage it. But what are some of the conscious decisions you both have to make? I, I mean, Daniel, I think you were just saying you've had to make a conscious decision not to evangelize Crispin in your new way. <laughs> but are there other conscious decisions you've had to make that make this successful? Because it sounds like you guys are doing this well with such a deep respect and love for each other, which is incredibly important. So tell us about those things. Yeah, I'm a, if anything, I'm a Christian universalist. And so like, I didn't, it wasn't like, oh, Danielle's not a Christian. I'm worried. Um, was kind of where I started. And it's funny because we were talking about this and how sometimes there's this dynamic. D Danielle was telling me about this piece of like where one partner feels like they have to stay a Christian because the other isn't like for the kids or for the family or something like that to keep like some stability. And I was like, I don't feel that in our family. I feel that with our like audience uh, slash community, like our podcast community, et cetera. Um, so that was kind of interesting to like process through. But for me, so are you saying you're, you're worried about alienating the fan base? <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. just he I think he's been like I he was so personally shocked by my deconversion I think he's like other people are too and I'm sort of like 
well, they can hop on the new train or get off. Like, I don't really, I don't have the time to explain it all. And he's sort of like, people deserve, like, just some. Yeah, I think know, that's like, what I think. Yeah, like, I, I think just recognizing, like, I'm not, I don't want to overblow our role where, you know, we just have like a little podcast. But for some of the folks that have been listened to us and benefited from hearing our conversations, I mean, we've heard this, like, you're sort of a hope that Christianity can be good. Yeah. And so I think it's hard to know, like, oh, we've been that for folks. And then if we're, you know, jumping, if we're leaving, you know, that's, there's got to be, there might be some grief for those folks. But then I would, I would add for our family, it actually was made me ask this question, like, why do I stay? Whereas before, it's like, why would I go? Like, why would I ever leave Christianity? If Danielle's a Christian, if we're a Christian family, like, I just didn't have to face that. And it was like, this is just the reality of what I accept is true about the world, almost in a scientific way. It's not, it's not like I'm choosing to believe this. It's like, yeah, this is just the way things are. And I'm going to try to figure out how to make Christianity good from this basic understanding of what I understand about the world. So then with Danielle and also our 12 year old being like, we're done. Then it changed from like, why would I ever, I ever leave to this question of like, why would I stay? And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like that question kind of came, has really arisen probably since January. And, and not, not to say that part of me feels sheepish, like, oh, you're just staying because staying or going because it, uh, you know, is the easiest. And that's maybe that's true. But um, but, you know, it, a lot of times it's not until something really happens that you ask that question, like, do I really want to stay or not? You don't have to feel bad about that, Christmas, because it's a massive decision, right? I mean, this has been the center focus of your life since birth. To make mm-hmm. that decision, you don't need to be in a rush. And talking about, you know, I was joking with you about alienating fan base. I'm constantly clutching my pearls when I think about oh, what are our progressive audience going to think when we say this. Brian doesn't ever want us to use the C word on the podcast because he works in a in, in a very feminized environment where you're not allowed to use that word. You know, things like that. So we're constantly thinking about our our fan bases and the people around us. So there's no there's no. When you said C word, I, I thought, thought you cult. meant cult. <laughs> No. I thought you... No, no, no. It sounds like cult. Sounds like cult. In fact, it's almost spelt the same way, right? No. Wow. For Brian and I, when we compare your stories to ours, deconstruct was not a word. It was deconvert, Danielle. I mean, that's what it was, right? When I deconverted, which is, you know, 20-something years ago, and it was a big deal because it's like going to hell and losing your salvation. It wasn't this sort of gradual kind of thing. But our marriages fell apart at the same time. I ended up living at the bottom of a beer bottle for the next 15 years. And yet you guys seem to be doing this in so much more of a healthy way. You're maintaining your relationships, you've got kids and family, and you're, you're coming on a podcast and talking about it. You're in therapy. Total opposite of us. Well, maybe not so much for Brian, maybe more for me, but just it's a, just a totally different way and it's so much more adaptive than than the way we did it and i just think it's really cool that you've got this much more healthy way of approaching all this it's it's interesting cuz one thing i kind of want to ask you crispin is do you think you would have deconstructed and deconverted like much sooner if you hadn't been married to me 
Yeah, that's a really good question because uh, the dynamic in our relationship, which goes back to why I was so shocked, was that in some ways Danielle was dragging me along. And that's sort of our personalities, as y'all know. But, you know, at the same time, like I really was, I was a teenage fundamentalist. By the time we met in college, I was sort of like, this kind of feels like bullshit, but maybe something's wrong with me. I'm going to change my expectations. I really got into sort of like the politics of Jesus. Like that was something that felt really important to me. And that was what we based our life off of, like going forward. But in a lot of ways, just the whole, like I had disliked being in church services for several, I don't know, since I was like 20. It's just interesting because Danielle in a lot of ways was more religious and Christian. And so that's been an interesting question. Like if, if they hadn't been so intense about things, like, I don't know where, you know, my path would have led. So. Yeah. That's, that's something I think like I've talked about in therapy is, you know, maybe there's even this public perception. Maybe I feel it too, right. Of me deconverting so suddenly to apparently to people, if that's putting pressure on Crispin to now like evaluate his own relationship with Christianity and, and all that. But I think it's the opposite. I think he he stayed in and tried to make it work because it was so important to me and he really loves me. And and so it's it's been hard for me to kind of untangle all of that and to feel sad, but also be like Crispin can make choices, his own choices, and he can move forward. And and uh, both of us are working on not being uh, codependent and all that. Well, at the same time, it's like we're so lucky <laughs> just so lucky and it's really hard to talk about our relationship in public because ours is not the norm right like to get married so young to meet at a fundamentalist bible college and 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 just to find your person oh, i don't know from the world from the world that we've come from sounds pretty normal to me are, but are they still happy when yeah. and do they both choose to leave and all that I know. And so that's where I'm like, it's so hard to talk about. And if anybody ever asks us sort of like relationship advice, I'm like, the only advice I have is to marry Crispin. That's all I know. And he's great to be married to, but we're not poly. So you can't. So like, <laughs> that's it. I have no other advice. It's a good thing. You're the marriage counselor, not me. I mean, it's interesting because I was just talking to a friend about that recently about I think people have been worried about us because it's such a common narrative, I think for good reasons where people like Joshua Harris, for example, who wrote, I kissed dating goodbye, right? Like deconverting and divorce, like together, you know? And that's such a, like, if we look at like Derek Webb or just like all these sort of like high profile folks. Yeah. High, high profile folks like Troy and Brian from, I was a teenager. <laughs> right. Okay, exactly. What, okay, but, well, yeah. but like, think about what kinds of books would you guys have written? Right at the height of your fundamentalism phase, and oh, I would have written books with Ray Comfort and Kirk yeah. Cameron. That's what and I you and you would have been given money. You would have been given speaking opportunities. If you then pivoted to progressive Christian, you would still get all those same things. Like, I remember the first gathering I went to when I had started freelance writing, and this is right when my first book was going to come out. Like to all these like gatherings of progressive Christians in the United States, and and just. I was shell-shocked because these, to me, were like the people who were living it, who were all in. I mean, half of that crowd, probably more, seemed like they were narcissists and 
really deeply unhappy people who had terrible relationships and I came home scared out of my mind like scared out of my mind and I just told Crispin like you are the most important thing to me Um, and so we've always been a little bit on the outs of like public Christianity but public Christianity is filled with people who are really really unhealthy I'm sure that's not a surprise to anybody and just because they're progressive doesn't mean they're any less unhealthy. And so we also feel lucky in that regard. Um, it almost feels like we've overcome like one of the temptations of Jesus because uh, neither of us want to be famous Christians at all or write any more books for Christian. Maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm so sorry. Maybe yeah, that's like overstating it. But it's just like, OK, we tried it. It kind of it really sucked. It really sucked for me. I think you had more positive experiences. And now we're like, no, like this is not a place of health. And not a place we see a future for us going forward. And I just, again, that's really tied to how good my mental health is these days, too. It's just torching my career in, in Christianity has been so, so good for me. So so let us back away from your marriage and your relationship. I hope you don't mind us talking about that. The reason we did is just because comparing it to, to our own experience and also seeing that you're deconstructing, deconverting at, at, at a slightly different pace. Although hearing you today actually puts a different spin on it. It's like, oh, actually Crispin might've done this earlier if it hadn't been yeah. for me. And, and coming into this, we're thinking it was the other way around. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for the honesty. And again, in post-edit, if you're not comfortable with any of this, we can, we can pull this out. But I want to pivot a little bit just on this Christian superstar thing, because we recently heard you talking on your episode about Philip Yancey. And he was super impactful on us. And as a matter of fact, we had him on the podcast because he wrote this book about growing up fundamentalist. And we reached out to him and we were totally surprised when he said he was going to come on our podcast. You've talked about him. And I think when I heard that, it was like, see, there's this synergy again. They had the same fundamentalist freeing that Philip Yancey's writing sort of brings. What sort of impact did his writing have on you? And how do you view him now? You know, his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, was like one of my, like, it was a really important book to me. I wonder what would have happened if I hadn't had Philip Yancey. I think Philip Yancey, you know, I was 16, which tells me that very early in my life, I figured out like something about this doesn't work. This is, there's, there's some bullshit here. Reading Philip Yancey gave me some space to say, okay, like, Maybe there's not something wrong with me. Maybe there's not something wrong with this faith. You know, maybe there's a way to go forward because Philip Yancey is sort of creating some relief there, you know? And I, I think that's such a positive thing. And at the same time, like if I hadn't have read his book, would I have maybe left earlier instead of kind of hearing, well, this is normal and it doesn't feel good. This is maybe a bad summary of Philip Yancey's position. But I, I think Philip Yancey or others like him, people that are trying to reckon with suffering or the fact that the promises, what we're promised in church doesn't always come true. You know, sometimes what we hear is this dynamic of like, yeah, this, this, is, this feels shitty, but that's normal and it's okay. So I think that's a question I have, like, and I think about that with my own book. To what extent am I providing relief for people? And to what extent am I 
giving them, you know, a reason to stay when maybe they shouldn't be staying mm. in this system. So I know I, I kind of lumped me and Yancey together, but... Uh. <laughs> no, no, you, you can, feel free to do it. And look, I don't think it's a an unfair commentary around Philip Yancey. And I think we, we gently challenged him on what we saw as a bit of cognitive dissonance um, in his writing and in his life. And I don't think we got a clear answer. I, I don't think he is uncomfortable either in sitting in that place. And that's okay. You know, that's his journey. And I guess we came to the conclusion when we did interview him that he's a good guy. And I think his intent is to try and bridge some gaps. And it is to try and understand. But I, I truly do believe there is some cognitive dissonance. If, if you are believing it, it's the only way you can get through, unfortunately. But Yeah, and, and even though he doesn't like to wear that label and maybe, again, he doesn't want to alienate his fan base, but he's totally progressive. You know, like he's got gay friends and he won't take a stand on abortion. And, and then he calls himself conservative theologically and then didn't unpack what that meant. You know, I, I don't I don't want to give the guy a hard time because he was like someone manning the lifeboats as I'm leaving the church and he helped me on the lifeboat, mm, you know, mm-hmm. even though he ended up staying, you know, even if it was just to get the lights, who knows, right? But he he was really, really helpful. And there was even churches like that that were still fundamentalist or evangelical at least that were really good stopping points on the way out the door because it would have been too hard to fall that far and we needed those steps down. And so that's the way I see these people, you know. I see that they they do serve. You can look at it as they're keeping people in and for sure probably are and that's not a good thing. But at the same time, they're helping people out and they really are. So I, I think it's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's a bit of both with the whole Philip Yancey thing. Yeah, we were just talking about this. Did you want to say something? No, I was going to say, I want to hear your take on this. Well, I just think thinking like the time I saw Philip Yancey like speak in person was at this thing called oh, the Jesus Gathering or something. Oh, Simply Jesus. And it's such a perfect example of what I'm talking about with these progressive Christians. It was in like Denver, Colorado, mostly white men speaking about how amazing and liberative Jesus is. And, you know, Philip Yancey was there and I liked his his talk and he seemed much more down to earth than like people my age or, you know, just the little the narcissists who love the spotlight, right? And so are always at the speaking circuit. But like the guy who ran that Simply Jesus gathering, like, yeah. And in recent years, right, he has been called out for sexually harassing women. And instead of like stepping down, he's gone rogue. He's gone kicked out of his denomination, but he's still trying to fundraise. He still sends me emails asking for money because God is doing great works in his life. You know, it's all such a crock of shit. Like, it's so hard for me to be like, unfortunately, at this point, I have like an encyclopedic memory of every shitty evangelical in the United States. And there's so many of them. And Philip Yancey is not one of them. Like, I don't know any dirt on him. Like, I do think he's a genuine person. And yet, if you can't have any self-reflection, and if you can't say, this is just one way to be a person, and I acknowledge that there's so many other ways out there, and to move forward in this society, we all kind of need that as our baseline. Like, I don't hear Philip Yancey doing that. He's still committed to this is the only way. And that's where I do have a hard time and I'm not like pressuring Chrisman, but this is a conversation we have often. And it has been scary for me to bring up 
just my growing discomfort with like if you don't make space for people to walk away you are absolutely doing harm and that's just how I feel and I don't know if that's true or not yeah that's where it becomes cultic isn't it if 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 people can't leave and there's no right way to leave, that's one of the signs of a cult. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so like Christian publishing doesn't allow you to add that chapter to your book, which says if this makes you feel like shit, you should leave. Like, no, you can't write that in a Zondervan book. And that is unfortunate and really upsetting, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think both of us are like, which book are you talking about here? No. I'm yeah, that's what I was thinking. Zondervan. Oh, maybe you should have said you can't write that in a Baker book house. <laughs> I mean, I published with IVP, which has wretched policies against LGBTQ plus people, and I would never publish with them again. And and I think we have to model changing your mind. You know, when you know better, you do better. And knowing we all have different things we're reaching for, like. Philip Yancey was trying to get people who were plagued by doubts and anxieties. I He probably made some people feel better. He made other people like me be like, you're right. I just need to try harder. You know, he wrote this book called Soul Survivor where he documents like these 10 writers that kind of saved his faith when he was on the brink of walking away. You know, I basically, for at least half of those writers he mentioned, I went out and started reading all of their books, right? That's how intense I was. I don't know if you can see the bookshelf behind us, but it's like, we have read so many books. We've tried so hard to grapple with the cognitive dissonance. Like we read Yancey's book and then we read hundreds of others mm -hmm. just to try and make it good. And so it, it's just fascinating. Like if there had been more of those little signs along the way, would I have listened if people said this is just one way to be a person? This is just one thing. But nobody ever said that. They never said that. And I took it all literally. So maybe it's wishful thinking and I wouldn't have listened if there had been those opportunities to leave. I mean, for me, I, I did to become a progressive Christian because I was trying to to hang on to the label, I think, and I threw everything else out. Like I, I, along the way, you know, it's, I ripped out, you know, resurrection, virgin birth, you know, all that sort of stuff. So in the end, it was left as a shell. And I think quite often... My reflection is, and I may alienate our progressive listeners, is that progressive Christianity is just trying to save the brand in many ways. It's trying to save what you were once connected to. It's it's your purpose. It's made up so much of you in, a, in, a, in such a deep way that if you're to jettison Christianity, you're just ripping a part of you out. And that's just too painful for people. So they, they try and save it. And, but I also think it's a... A direct response to the intense evangelical right that has aligned itself with evangelicalism or the other other way around and they're trying to go hey here's our point of difference do you think I, I, i'm and i'm going to indulge myself because i i'm i love the q anon stuff and all that sort of thing and how deeply no, embedded you go, it is and everything's fucking q anon it is and i want to know <laughs> is crispin q no but i <laughs> you're not you're not you're not crispin i just want to put that out there but do you do you think because I would have said at one time, oh, no, this, this isn't intentional. This isn't sinister. These people aren't intentionally actually getting into that space. Do you think that there's been a real shift in recent times, and I'm talking, you know, even the last five years, around that intention and the impact that's become more sinister and the emergence of that marriage, the, the very tight marriage of the extreme right and evangelicalism? 
what what's your take on that? You're in you're in the center of it over there. I mean, we see a lot of it from a distance, but what's your take? We on our podcast, we have a segment, an unofficial segment that's been developing called DL's Conspiracy Corner. Yeah. But it's like this is this is a hard one to talk about. Like I I honestly feel kind of on the verge of tears because growing up you want your caregivers to take care of you and you want them to be trustworthy. And so my parents, right, were just obsessed with God. Like that was their entire life. Evangelicalism was their entire life. A pastor's kid, you know, all this stuff. I had to buy into it, like to get their love and to keep my small child worldview intact, right? That my parents are trustworthy. I don't know how many people are saying both, but right, if you're six years old and you're told that you're going to go to hell unless you commit for life to serve for life a God, you know, like, yeah, you're going to do it and all this stuff. I-, I can deal with like all of that stuff, that part of indoctrination. But what's been so hard is just like watching family members and people we loved, people we studied under, people we respected, authors we loved, like become extremists right in front of your eyes over over a period of months and years and decades and um, to never really be be given the space to mourn that and to call it what it is it's it, it like I can just feel my chest right now it's just physically it just feels like it's full of lead like to watch the people you love who are so convinced that they are right and that they are loving that they are not fearful just believe the most horrific things and and to promote the most regressive and oppressive policies like at, at every turn it's it's been excruciating to live this out and so us doing our podcast on like the pop culture media like it was a way for us to engage with the reality of rising extremism without having to like touch that sore spot of like it's our parents our parents are extremists and religious fundamentalist white supremacist extremists is how I would say it and maybe you wouldn't say it like that Crispin and that's totally fine but like most of the work I do has come out of just grief are you sure that's totally fine yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced yes. it's totally yeah. fine <laughs> well no it's it's funny uh that's that's a whole other thing because I come from a really dysfunctional family. I haven't talked to my parents in several years and I can only imagine where they're at politically. So that's my silence is like, I actually don't, that's, uh, I had to go through some pain in terms of my own healing, but one of the benefits of like cutting off that dysfunctional relationship is like, I haven't had to have these conversations during the Trump years. So I actually appreciate that. Yeah, and, and wouldn't you say, like, that's the number one question we probably get, it, and it's not really about our relationship or any of that stuff. It's like, what, what do your parents think? And that's just so fascinating. And to me, that is stemming from, I think, the people who listen to our podcast, for instance, right, also come from evangelicalism, and they know that their relationships are so tenuous, right? Like, their relationship with their parent is based off of how much you acquiesce to their worldview. And now that we're parents ourselves with kids who are almost teenagers, you're just like, Oh my God, it's really easy to just respect your kid as a person <laughs> and to like let them be their own person. And and neither of our parents did that for us. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm sorry I didn't really talk about Q, but like Fair. we don't know Q, just uh, in it, case you're wondering. You didn't you didn't meet Q at like some sort of Jesus simply Jesus conference Actually, or whatever it's called? 
I probably you may did. I yeah, probably it's did. So, it's so funny because we have different like perspectives on this because we have different, you know, personalities. And I think for me, it's just, it's so to a probably unhelpful extent, give people the benefit of the doubt. What I will say is like speaking to the history in the U.S., there is a very, very long standing history. I would say like to to the founding of our country of politicians playing to Christians to get political power. And, the, and I would say that then there are religious leaders uh, like Franklin Graham, for example, that I think are also playing that game of holding power. And then you get to like the local pastor here who I don't think is like part of a conspiracy, but like there's this like gra- gradation from like explicit like politician who's just like saying what they need to say to get the evangelical vote to the person that's sitting in a pew. And like, I think there are so many people in different parts of that like spectrum in terms of like uh, how genuine they are or not and how much of a conspiracy it is. Or even, yeah, or even how organized. I I just do want to take the opportunity to say though, that I'm loving the evolution of Conspiracy Corner and I'd love to see it its own little segment within your podcast because I, I do love it. And you name it as you come in, you go, oh, this is probably a conspiracy. It's great. Bring it in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So speaking of the podcast then, you're wrapping your current season, which has been a focus on DC Talks Jesus Freak. At least that's been the the central point from which you launch off. Because sometimes I listen to some of the episodes and I think that was not about Jesus Freak at all. (laughs) That was just like something else. And you just like play a little bit of the song. And and that's cool. Don't get me wrong. I love your podcast. I promise. That's I, I really, I really do. H- have you heard from anybody connected to DC Talk? As a matter of fact, I think the reason I found your podcast because I was following Kevin Max and he liked your post on Twitter about releasing this season. He also tweeted something kind of snarky about it. But we okay. So straight up, I I I have no interest in talking to any member of DC Talk unless. They are like down to like pay reparations for the martyrdom complex. Help me with my therapy bills. Like then we can talk like that's great. But a lot of people want us to have Kevin Max on our podcast because he's like the more progressive Christian. And I think I've already made it clear in this podcast that I am um, allergic to Christian celebrity, Christian celebrities, especially if they're male, especially if they're progressive. So I, I so that's just me. Um, we don't want to talk to any of them, but what do you think? Would you talk to Kevin Max? Uh, I, something I did a, I did a series, uh, a season a a bit ago about shame and kind of the psychology, like basically how evangelicalism, uh, creates shame on the psychological level. And I talked about all the bands that I listened to in my teen years. And a lot of times people were like, Hey, you know, I know so-and-so who is in that band. Do you want to interview them? And our podcast is not that kind of podcast. It's not a fan podcast. It's like, 
we're going to talk about this media and we're going to talk about how it is tied to like white Christian nationalism and like, well, and this, and this season in particular was actually a season about religious trauma and, and like the religious trauma caused by this time period in 1995 when Jesus freak came out and there's all this push to pressure like evangelical teenagers to commit to a lifetime of service and possibly martyrdom um, for, for Jesus. And so I'm like, that's some weird ass shit, right? Like that needs to be discussed. And and most people we know who maybe made this content, they don't have the level of like self-awareness or self-reflection that we are looking for when it comes to talking about these issues and in, in religious trauma in general. Right. And we actually, yes. what? I'm just laughing because it's a little bit of a harsh thing to say. <laughs> okay, Crispin. <laughs> And for what it's worth, we were in our 20s when this album was out, and it did the same thing for us. And and I'm not saying that it had more or less impact on someone, whether they're in their teens or in their 20s, but we were in our 20s, and this music spoke to us, and this music pushed us. And that's what I mean about listening to you guys and some of the awareness that you bring, especially around some of the stuff that we miss from an Australian perspective, the American racial stuff. And we've got yeah. our own, don't get me wrong, but yeah. it is a different context. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, like Coloured People, for example. What you guys said about Coloured People, up until that point I was like, isn't that a great song, right? Like they're playing on the idea of using the word coloured, but they're actually saying we're all coloured and blah, blah. And then you start talking about like colour blindness and I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way to ruin it, guys. But it's true. That's, that's what we true. do. We, we ruin the media of your childhood. That, that should be and, our tagline. And Crispin just talked to somebody, like a religious trauma therapist, about the song In the Light, right? And In the Light was the song from that album that everybody loved. And you're like, it makes me feel so good. And uh, I don't think you're going to feel good about it anymore. Oh, no way. I I revisited that song some years back during COVID, right? Because I got a little bit sort of spooky spiritual and I was looking for stuff to sort of, you know, think about. Yeah, spooky spiritual. That's an Aussie thing. We we say super spiro, which means, you know, super spiritual. And and I was listening to that song and then it gets into this total self-loathing, right? It's like, Uh what's going on inside of me? I'm fucked. I'm horrible and all this. And it's like. No, you just have to get to the chorus where you go, yeah, the Charlie Peacock stuff, oh, in the light, yeah, I'm in the light. And then you get to this stuff and you go, and I I remember I said to Brian at the time, I said, can you believe how self-loathing, how, like they just come, and and we used to think there's nothing wrong with that. This is the message. That's my central thesis is that the people that this worked on are people who hated themselves. And it's really sad. People who would hear a song filled with that level of self-loathing and be like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm that tracks with my inner world and my inner experience of myself. Like fundamentalists, I'm going to make a huge blanket statement here. Teenage fundamentalists are, are people who were experiencing a lot of shit and had things happen in their lives that caused them to not like themselves. Like to me, that's the common denominator of a fundamentalist It's trauma and it's internalized shame that causes you to go all in on this thing that actually perpetuates this cycle of hating yourself and looking to an outside source for a sense of affirmation. Right. And so that is devastating. If if we've been a fundamentalist, like, yeah, you need to be in therapy. You need, you need some, you know, I'd take it a step further and say that if you didn't realize what was bad about you, you would be reminded and told what's bad about you. Oh, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think it's if you didn't self-realise that, oh, you can rely on evangelicalism and fundamentalism 
to lead you down that path and it mm-hmm. will tell you why you're bad. It'll tell you why you're a piece of shit that only Jesus can rescue. Yeah, uh, J.D. Greer was the pastor of the Southern Baptist denomination at some point, but I have a quote from him in my book where he says, if you feel pretty good about yourself, that's a sign that you haven't actually met God yet. And you just think like, if that, like, I mean, I'm glad that he's just like saying it outright, I guess, but like, that is just such a clear picture of the psychology of being evangelical. So guys, your season on DC Talk Jesus Freak is coming to a close. I want to recommend to our listeners, this is a wonderful podcast, no qualms. Hands down, it's one of the best podcasts out there. I love the fact that whilst there is a synergy, you guys have completely different insights to us. And even even 25 years later, looking back and going, oh, exactly. Oh, and hearing what you said today, Danielle, about like hating yourself. And, you know, I'm thinking our podcast is called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I mean, maybe we need to call this. The subtext can now be, and we hated ourselves because that, that was it. That was yeah, totally it. Yeah, it is. Anyway, look, I'm I'm digressing. It's it's an absolutely wonderful podcast. It's obviously available wherever you find your podcasts. And I want to recommend people to get in and have a listen and, and jump in and, and follow you guys. But what's next for the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast? Oh, I don't. Do we want to drop an exclusive here and tell people that is is there some is it okay if I say something really quick? Which is I listen to your guys's podcast. Crispin doesn't listen to a ton, so don't judge him. But I listen to this one. It makes me feel very seen, very understood. I love the fact that we are a little bit removed by just a few years, and I think that makes something wonderful. And your Philip Yancey episode in particular, I didn't get a chance to say this, but I I did find it a little bit triggering and hard to listen to uh, just because of my own background, right? Listening. To somebody who has we did not too. We did quite, too. yeah, and and that's what I loved. Then you guys did an episode talking through it and giving space to process, and that's when I was like, okay, I can trust this podcast because that's really what we're kind of missing in so many of these conversations. Is like we can nitpick anything, everything to death, which I think we should, but then like we do need to process this together and say like this kind of brought up feelings in me because. Even the simple fact of like how many worship songs have we forced ourselves to sit through? Like that stuff doesn't just disappear from your body or your brain or your mind. Like there's a lot of indoctrination we've all experienced that we probably just need some help processing. So I just thank you guys for doing your podcast. Thanks for having us on here. We don't really, I am not doing any public anything anymore. It's, and that's also been great for my mental health, but um, I did feel good about coming on to here. And before we talk about maybe what's coming next for us, I want to say that I'm kind of channeling all my energies into um, Substack right now, which is like a new kind of platform for writing and blogging. And um, I'm writing about being a late diagnosed autistic person and high control religions. And that is called God is my special interest. If people want to find me there, I'm having a lot of fun doing that kind of work. What about, what about you, Chris? And besides our podcast, where you know, I, I published attached to God. Um, I, I still stand. I think it's still helpful that it, basically it was all the stuff that I thought was really interesting about attachment science. If you have an evangelical background, 
but really it's been nice to just be like, all right, like we have our podcast, but I can just go back to being a therapist. Like, I don't, I don't really like being in the public eye. I like having, you know, these conversations like these, but, but I don't have much to promote, which I uh, am really glad. Isn't that so nice? It is nice oh to God. be in that place. Like so. so nice. Shall we, shall we drop our, where we're going next? Okay. So, a world exclusive. Oh yeah, bring it on. Everybody's so excited to hear this. You're the better pitcher. No. You don't want to say- Okay, have you guys ever watched the show The Good Place? Yes. So we are going to do a recap podcast where we're going to rewatch The Good Place and we are both going to talk about like our deconversion slash deconstruction from an I like an evangelical worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of centered around this belief that we, you know, came to this realization that evangelicalism is the bad place. So we're gonna have some fun and be a little less serious and not talk about evangelical artifacts for mm-hmm. a little bit. So I, I don't know. I, I think it'll be fun and we'll get to geek out about philosophy and some of those things. Mm-hmm. What what else do you want to say about that? Christine? Yeah, I it'll it I I think it'll just be it will be fun uh we've really enjoyed all the people we've hosted over the years but it'll be fun to make a switch to just you and i talking um because i love talking to danielle um and yeah we'll talk about you know religious trauma theology philosophy like there's so much in the story of um that show that will be really fun to talk about so Yeah, I, I watched that with my teenage kids. My, my wife had my teenage kids and, you know, they came and went with it. And it was just great, the conversations that it prompted. Mm-hmm. Um, and also being able to tell my kids, yeah, I used to believe that. Or, oh, yeah, I, I you know, it was great. So I, I think that sounds really, really wonderful. And if you change your mind, we'll, we'll pull this out. If you don't want to announce <laughs> that yet, that's fine. Um, but But thank you so much, guys, for coming along and being a part of the podcast today. We've had a, we've had a great time chatting with you. Love what you're doing keep doing it thank you so much this has been awesome thank you so much this has been a wonderful conversation thanks guys appreciate it if you'd like to connect with the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast then please see the links in our link tree in the show notes we invite you to pop across to our very vibrant listener community on Facebook which is a private group and we're also on Instagram Twitter and Reddit Also, a huge thank you to Lucy, who manages our social strategy, and to Kerry and Bree, who manage our Facebook listener group. All of our episodes are transcribed to increase accessibility, and the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. It's produced and hosted by Brian McDowell and Troy Waller, with all sound production and editing done by Troy Waller. You can find all these links in our link tree in the show notes.